Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We're coming to you between uh, episodes that we put out every Wednesday and Friday. Uh, and we're coming to you with one of our favorite segments, listener mail. We scour the internet. We get deep into forums. We get into uh, all sorts of forms of communication from email to voicemail to anything, really. And we come bearing messages from you to you, specifically you. So stay tuned. You might be on the air today. Uh, We're going to talk about we're going to talk about some cryptids. We're going to talk about some um, strange physiological Uh, neurological experiences, uh, the way in which you can see colors, taste, sound, and so on. Uh, And then we're also going to get some insider information about creepy activities in the sky. Uh, And then we're also going to talk about some unfortunate hidden history that is much closer to the modern day than a lot of people assume. I hope that's a vague enough setup without spoiling, spoiling all our plans. For today's show. No spoils. No spoils. Uh, our plans do include going to the phone lines, and y'all know how it goes over here. We're only a month behind, but we're fine. We're going to jump to a message we got from Mike 
approximately one month ago. Uh, it's right after we talked about a story you brought to the table from one of our listeners, Ben, about New York City attempting to forcibly put its, quote, mentally ill people who are living on the streets into state-run facilities to do like a, a little check-in, right? That's all it was. Uh, let's hear what Mike had to say from his own experience. Hello, I was just listening to your episode about them forcing mentally ill in New York into institutions, and I just want to call in with my experience. I actually worked in mental health in the 90s uh, when they were closing a lot of state hospitals down uh, from Pennsylvania. At the time, we were down to four state hospitals, and even then, they had very limited beds. And you had asked about experience as far as how that was dealt with in other times and areas. In my experience, what we had was the state had funded a lot of facilities in small, smaller rural communities. Um, they had something called an LTSR, which was essentially a mini state hospital. Uh, they were funding assisted living homes specifically for those with mental illness in different smaller communities. And then they had something which was called uh, domiciliary care, which is essentially foster care for adults. And primarily that served a lot of people in the, with mental health problems. The other thing we saw quite a bit of, though, was when they closed down the institutions in our smaller rural areas, we always see lots of people being shipped in from communities like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia because we had a greater amount of services. Uh, and while that did help, and I will say there were a lot of good people out there, unfortunately we saw a lot of abuses at the time too. A lot of people took advantage of the funding that was available. We saw a lot of private assisted living facilities that would crop up uh, that provided very poor care. In terms of domiciliary care, you would see a lot of problems that you oftentimes see in the foster care system in terms of abuse and neglect. But unfortunately, because they were mentally ill, people often didn't take them seriously or really listen to them or give them the respect they needed if they had complaints or problems. So it was just unfortunately a solution that just did not work out well, and I'm kind of worried that that's what we're going to have now. I know in Pennsylvania now, it feels like our mental health system is not quite as well funded and is in very poor condition. Um, but if you have any questions or you'd like to talk more about it, you can feel free to give me a call. And my name is Mike. Thank you for all you do. Wow. Uh, wow. Just a little personal experience from Pennsylvania. It was somebody who worked in mental health in the 1990s. And there's a lot of things in here that I believe we've mentioned before on this podcast when we looked back at the history of how the United States cares for those with what would be uh, labeled mental health problems by mental health professionals. And, uh, you know, that, that history is murky and pretty dark, but there are, as we always say, when we're talking about stuff like this, very, very good people out there that want to make a difference, that want to help who end up working in facilities like ones that were shut down, like new private ones that were opened up, like, uh, different facilities that exist today. I just want to, I guess, shout out Mike for you know, telling us a little bit about that. And I wanted to ask you guys a little bit of if you'd seen anything like this in places that you've lived over the years, 
Um, I don't have a lot of concrete examples from, from my life besides a couple of facilities that I know for sure were shut down in, as Mike said, the more rural parts of the greater Atlanta area. It's unfortunately a nationwide trend, right? This was part of a, a large move and it, it could, it happened state by state, but I think the vast majority of people familiar with the situation can confirm that a lot of uh, mental institutions were shut down and they were, they were government supported mental institutions, uh, psychiatric hospitals would be the better way to say it. And there was a great article in the Atlantic, which came out a few years ago that, really dives into this and dives into some of the perceived consequences of closing down these care facilities. One of the biggest, most immediate consequences is that when people who need assistance or care like this are left on the street without a support network of any kind, they are going to tend to run into first responders and law enforcement Uh, many of whom are not trained to deal with mental health emergencies. So this is an intergenerational problem. You can see a lot of reporting about this, like tying um, tying the closure of these facilities to all sorts of terrible things. I, I saw an NPR article that might be of interest. Mike, you probably have already read this, uh, that estimates more than 8 million people in the United States have, quote, serious psychological problems. That's from a journal called Psychiatric Services. And no matter how what the intentions were uh, in closing these things down, the end result is that there's physically not a sufficient number of slots for people who need help to be in. Uh, And, you know, what does this mean if we're talking about long-term consequences? What does this mean if we're talking about large-scale events? Uh, It means a lot of bad, inevitable things. And everybody can agree that these issues need to be addressed and these people need to be helped, but no one can agree how. You know, my question would be, do we think that the state should be the, the primary force for supporting people in this regard, or should it, um, what's the other argument? Uh, should it be charities, religious institutions, et cetera? I vote no on the religious front. I'm actually, I think that might be a really good thing. Get all, so? all the religions and they mm-hmm. all just start bringing people in. It's a way they would increase the number of people in their, you know, churches on their holy days, on their days of worship. Come on, you, you can grow your flock. And you can help people. You can actually do real help in the world. Come on, why not? Why not? Everybody can tithe whatever they're going to tithe. You pull uh, all that money and you use a good portion of it to help people. I think that's what it's designed for. I think, right? No? No, some kind of like Uber tithe. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know. That's a smart <laughs> thing. Well, it's interesting the, the range of response we got from from you out there. I'm going to do a really bad job right now quickly of describing what another caller said. They requested we not use their name or voice. Uh, This person has experience in Ohio, in the state of Ohio, in a couple of different cities there. And 
what they noticed is that it's kind of a similar thing that Mike was saying, but maybe a little different. This person saw people getting shipped from cities, from larger urban areas into more rural areas, uh, like shipped out of the city, the way we talked about on this, uh, this previous episode where we mentioned this problem. And this person firsthand through her experience, saw a lot of abuse of just from the situation of being unhoused, right? Or not having a place to live, being on the streets and interacting with other people that are in the same situation. And many of, uh, many of the individuals dealing with very different mental health issues, right? Which she was seeing uh, violence quite often. She was also seeing violence against people who were un, who were unhoused by those who were not unhoused. This person had basically seen a lot and uh, felt like maybe it was the right answer to have the state step in and give anybody who's just stuck out on the streets a place to go, whether or not that means providing them with medication that may be necessary or just a safe place to be for you know a certain period of time. They saw that as a potential real solution. I don't know. I just wonder how everybody else felt about that. It's a complicated issue for certain and uh, lives are at stake. So, yeah. Well, I mean, isn't it sort of just like a workaround for, you know, police and potentially a way to kind of circumvent normal um, due process for individuals that are maybe undesirable? It's potential, especially in a large urban area like New York City, right? Um, Quite possibly. Also, the prison system did after the after the um, deinstitutionalization of the U.S., uh, which is sometimes called like the Penrose theory. Uh, we know that the prison system began to become the ultimate home for a lot of people struggling with mental health between seventy two and two thousand and nine. The prison population exploded like 700%. And that's, a, that's according to a 2010 Pew study. And they're, they're pretty legit. So I think, we can, I think we can trace a pretty strong line uh, in between these closures and this destruction of support systems. But, but again, like you said, Matt, it's a complicated situation that often gets oversimplified, perhaps to some degree, because people don't like to talk about it. No, it's definitely, it can be, yeah, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Um, and often it leaves people feeling kind of helpless in terms of how can we help some of these folks, you know, who maybe don't have a support system. But I think we would all probably agree for the most part that they should be receiving treatment uh, to some degree or another and shelter rather than just trundled off, you know, to, you know, be taken out of the population you know, and treated like castaways. Mm. Well, hey guys, I just wanted to share feedback from people who were listening, who've had experience. So we've done that. We're going to take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more messages from you. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Um, so in our um, our strange news episode this week, I talked about or I brought to the table and we all talked about a story regarding AI art generation and some of the controversy and questions surrounding that. Well, today we're going to talk about good old fashioned human art generation using brains uh, and brains that some might argue possess a bit of a superpower, um, or at the very least, a very different way of experiencing things, and uh, how some of these individuals can filter this different way of experiencing things into interesting art and, and ways of creating art that maybe we wouldn't normally think of. Uh, Brock, uh, who is is a great asset to the show, sends us really cool articles all the time. Um, didn't write an email, just sends us really cool article. It was a PBS NewsHour uh, segment called "Artists Use Synesthesia to Expand Their Creative Limits." And uh, and Michelle San Miguel uh, of Rhode Island Public Television um, presented this story, where she interviewed 
various artists that have synesthesia. Um, what is synesthesia? You've probably heard of it. Uh, and one of the researchers interviewed for the piece, um, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Richard uh, Saitowick, who's a neurologist, um, he compares it to the concept of anesthesia, which I thought was interesting. I never really made that connection. Anesthesia translates to no sensation. So synesthesia, he says, translates to joined or coupled sensation. In other words, you experience things on multiple levels. Uh, some people hear color or see sound or associate certain sounds with certain Colors, you know, it might be the sound of a cello for blue or the sound of a violin for green or whatever it might be. And then when you mix the colors together, it can create varying you know, shades of that sound. Um, one of the first people that was interviewed in this piece was an artist uh, by the name of Alan Carlson, uh, who talks about seeing numbers. Um, he, he says, I was probably five and I started seeing numbers in color. Uh, three was yellow, five was red, zero was white, seven was sort of a purpley blue. Um, and she also uh, talks about being able to hear them and smell them. Um, so that's, you know, a, a side of, of synesthesia that I'd never really considered before. Um, Lenny Peterson, who's another artist that was interviewed for the piece, talks about being able to uh, see shapes and associate it with different timbers of music. You know, um, uh, Lenny describes this way. Uh, well, they're in my art and they're anywhere from a straight line, depending on the note, to all kinds of atmosphere within squares and circles. So, you know, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with this concept of synesthesia. It's often uh, associated with uh, geniuses, you know, throughout throughout history. Um, like, I believe Dostoevsky, Nabokov uh, was, a, was a synesthete, um, Lady Gaga, uh, is, is a synesthete um, Duke Beyonce. Ellington I believe the famous jazz uh, jazz performer jazz musician also a synesthete and they come in all different shades um, what I didn't realize is that this is a, a heritable trait this is not mm -hmm. something that I had any idea about uh, I thought it was a very like interesting anomaly that uh, took place in individuals um, Ben had you heard about that I, I know this is something that, that you're particularly interested in this concept yeah yeah <laughs> because I have, uh, I I also have synesthesia. Um, it's not widely understood, but it is heritable. Like Nabokov uh, was an amazing writer. It's weird how Russian writers are so great in English, but uh, Nabokov was actually kind of miffed when he learned that although he had family members who also experienced synesthesia, they did not experience the same kind, or rather they didn't experience the same associations. So if you have grapheme color synesthesia, so colors and numbers or letters are associated together in my mind consistently and um, without trying, just instinctively, that's what happens. Then you go to a family member and you say, isn't it crazy how we both know that three is a light blue? And they're going, you're nuts. Three is orange. So it was kind of depressing for Nabokov to learn that. And uh, it's it's weird because um, a lot of people, I think, have phases of synesthesia at the very least. Sometimes it might be hallucinogens. Sometimes I, I would posit that the um, experiences of synesthesia are probably common to people during childhood. So would you consider these things hallucinations? <sighs> oh, that's a good question. Um I don't know if I would necessarily don't know if I'd necessarily say that because 
in from what I understand, most times when people are experiencing these things, it's an internal experience, right? Like you don't, you're like if you have um, certain visuals associated with the sensation of textures, you're not going to actually feel like your hand is hurting. You'll have the sensation as though you're touching, you know, cotton or silk or sandpaper or whatever. But I, I don't know, hallucination, that's a good question. What's the difference between a hallucination and a consistent association? Right. Maybe it's not a hallucination because it's so consistent. 100%. I mean, it's. I think it's an interesting um, way of, of thinking about it. And it's something that this uh, piece kind of delves into a little bit also in terms of like, uh, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just go right to Dr. Uh, um He says, we're more familiar with famous artists who happen to be synesthetes than we are famous synesthetes who happen to be artists. And it's a chicken and egg question of are they artistic because they're synesthetic or are they synesthetic because they're artistic? Um, he goes on to say that he thinks it's the former because they're used to unusual combinations and they've gotten comfortable with combining unusual things together to make something different. Uh, and, and the artist Lenny Peterson that I referenced at the top does exactly that. Um, he describes it, again, to the whole question of like, is this you know something that you see? Uh, the, the journalist Michelle San Miguel asks, uh, now these shapes appear three-dimensional in front of you. They're floating in the air, uh, to which uh, Peterson replies, they're being created in front of me. They're not like in the room. They're forming in front of me as I listen to music. So wouldn't you say that kind of sounds like someone who's seeing something who's physically, or not physically, you know, seeing something. I mean, how else can you describe it? Like, this is something floating in front of this person in the air. And the more I concentrate on it, the more they're going to form and the clearer they're going to form. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then again, the idea of consistency, right? Like, that 100%. If, if a hallucination is um always happening at what point does it become just an association Aha. you know that's a really good point ben i didn't think about that either because you know hallucination is almost it's a little bit loaded isn't it? It, it 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 implies there's something wrong or that you've ingested something that's causing your neural pathways to get tweaked um these people's neural pathways for lack of a better way of describing it are kind of perma tweaked you know they're just sort of born that way um so at that point is it a, is it a hallucination or is it just the way they see things you're right hallucination implies intermittent or uh inconsistent or associated with a particular drug or uh you know maybe even an injury you know mm -hmm. yeah and and also you know another thing we always talk about when we talk about this off air is uh, whether it is possible to teach synesthesia. Well, sort of the way like Russell Targ talks about being able to teach ESP, you know, um, Targ thinks that you can and he says he's done it. Uh, but, but it is a similar kind of question, I think, you know, you usually think of ESP as whether you believe it, if you believe in it, uh, as something that someone's got kind of innately and the idea of being able to cheat, teach it is, is very interesting and a different way of framing it. Well, guys, it, to me, it's, it seems like physical wired connections up in the brain to me and, right. and not something that you could necessarily teach. Although we have learned some pretty cool things about uh, folks who do a lot of meditation, right. And how connections can be altered slightly and enhanced. So maybe there is a way. I don't think it would be as simple as, you know, taking a class. It would be like studying with a master kind of thing. It's what it feels sure. like to me. 
even like people that, that experience addiction and maybe they have to train their brain to sort of, you know, course correct. And we know that the brain and our pathways are elastic, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, I guess that's actually a term that's used pretty regularly. Um, so maybe this is similar, but I don't know if you can, to what degree can you, can you train your brain to like do this kind of stuff? Um, I just wanted to wrap up with, with the, the thing that I think, one of the things that made this piece really interesting um, is is the description by this one artist of how they use their synesthesia to make unique art that is specifically kind of rooted in that synesthesia. Alan Carlson, who's another artist that uh, was interviewed, is a maker of abstract paintings. Uh, she says that she likes to paint by mixing colors together that have a certain smell associated to them and not the smell of the paint or some kind of chemical smell that's physically bound to the substance, a smell that comes from the color. And um, uh, Carlson specifically refers to certain shades that smell like low tide, which is not exactly the most pleasant smell. Um, but this is an artist who uh, specifically makes work sometimes clush with using a palette that's clustered around a particular smell. So whereas you might, you know, create a palette based on monochromatic tones or whatever types of blues, whatever it might be, this is an artist that is clustering colors based specifically on their unique associations that, that other people wouldn't experience. And what does that create? you know, for others who are experiencing that? Is it kind of a path into that person's specific experience by filtering it through the things we can interpret, you know? Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's fascinating to think about. So this is what Alan Carlson has to say about this. I started to be able to pull in a whole family of those colors that smelled that way to me. It was like an undercurrent in the whole palette. And so from that, I painted an 80-inch wide abstract landscape just from the smell, those two colors that came together, uh, and it happened very fast. So really cool. And I love science that we don't fully understand, especially as it pertains to art. Um, and, you know, with all this stuff about AI art, I think it's really important to emphasize the human aspect of art more than ever uh, now. So there you go. So now we'll take a quick break and then be back with one more piece of listener mail. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we have returned with uh, some, we get a lot of feedback about the X-37B, a mysterious ghost ship up there in orbit, as well as some great reactions to sonic booms, which we mentioned in a previous listener mail segment. Uh, Here we go with Toad. Toad writes in to say, longtime listener and fan of the show, I just finished listening to the listener mail segment regarding sonic booms. A little behind, I know. I had a sick kid, so I was keeping up during commutes. Toad, we hope uh, that your kid is feeling much, much better. We hope you're on the mend. And Toad says this. This is one of the things we love hearing in the show. Toad said, I have some involvement with the U.S. government, and there are, of course, some interesting things about getting inside the circle of trust and knowing the inside scoop on some of the topics from the show. Uh, It's kind of fun for me. And he said, one aspect of being on the inside is knowing what's secret because it's truly dangerous to people or national security and what's secret because it's mostly embarrassing or would make people unhappy. The issue around sonic booms generally falls into the latter category. Uh, And then Toad goes on. We're not going to say too, too many specifics here, Toad, but Toad goes on to talk about some time spent out on the West Coast not working with sonic booms directly, uh, but being in a position where you would know who was causing them. And they noted that we said the government can't really cover up booms and they have to say something about it. Toad says this is mostly true. And then Toad points out something we didn't mention. It's also true that transponder codes that show up in public flight records don't always correspond to the aircraft listed So there can still be cover stories that uh, something that might be operating and and causing a boom, uh, if you look at the flight log, it might be listed as something different. Uh, And then I said there's another thing that causes sonic booms that isn't tied to flight records at all, orbital reentry. Space Shuttle is a classic example, but there are other craft, as well as the open secret of the X-37B. It only takes minutes for a deorbiting craft to cross the width of the United States, since it only takes about an hour, give or take a bit, to orbit the whole Earth, depending on distance. Pretty weird stuff, right? Yeah. Stuff always makes me think of Event Horizon. Mm -hmm. Like a ship that's been to a dark dimension and come back with like 
demons or just remnants <laughs> of some kind. I think that's a cool movie. It doesn't hold up like you might think. There are parts of it that are great and parts of it that are really corny, but um, I love the concept so much. I loved it too. I think the only thing that didn't really hold up super well was I didn't like the soundtrack. It wasn't, it was very of the time when I was listening back to it. For sure. There's also that dude that kind of gets shot out of the pod bay or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up coming back. He's like, I'm coming back, motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. It's a little goofy. It's a little silly goofy. Yeah. 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 You could tell that it went through a couple different genres in the writing process. Oh, yeah. I talked with you guys off air about this, but I. Right after we recorded that episode on the X-37B, I got two guests on the Daily Zeitgeist, which was mm-hmm. you know my first time, as you guys have been on there many, many times, good friends over there, Jack and Miles. Uh, they were so surprised and weirded out when they learned about the X-37B for the first time while we were talking about it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's surprising and weird. <laughs> they're just like, whoa, whoa, this thing's real? And it, 900 days? What? <laughs> it was really great. <laughs> yeah. Call the yeah. ghost, call the space <laughs> Ghostbusters. Seriously. Exactly. Uh, and speaking of that, there is one other thing I want to add from Toad that he said. Uh, he said, you might be familiar with layers of the atmosphere, but the dividing line or pauses between layers don't really transmit sound well. So we have supersonic craft operating above a certain level that dips below that level. It can make the sound of a sonic boom for a short period of time before it moves on. So it might be a single flight that sounds like multiple events. And uh, <laughs> there's there's something else that he mentions. This is what we'll share on air. Uh, Toad says, as mentioned before, some of these craft are flying fast enough that they might trace multiple flight paths across the U.S. on the same day, separated by only a few hours. Some may be deorbiting spacecraft, but there are also aircraft and good old-fashioned missiles too. Just how fast we can go, however, is classified. So I can't exactly share that information. I can say that China is playing catch up with cutting edge military tech, and they are working on hypersonic cruise missiles as well, over five times the speed of sound. Jeez. I know. It's so weird because people, like, that's how many secrets there are in these kind of fields. People can just talk to us, right, and and preserve their anonymity and say, yeah, I confirmed some of the crazy stuff in the sky. He gave us the inside scoop. Uh, and I know we're, we're giving this a little brief. So I was thinking, first, there's a clarion call to everybody. If you can share stories like this with us, more importantly, fellow conspiracy realists, please let us know, uh, because this is what this show is made to explore. And just so we don't end with everybody wondering whether that's a top secret missile flying over you. Uh, let's let's go from the inside scoop to the straight poop from Ricky. To 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 his yeah, no regrets. No regrets. No quarter given when it comes to puns. This is okay. You're going to have to edit us, Doc. Uh, Ricky says, I can't remember which episode, but you guys have made this observation numerous times. What about how if you can smell something on a molecular level, you're also tasting it? This also means everywhere, every day, all day, people that fart with their clothes on are also technically in their pants. I've never thought about that, but I guess by our own logic. Just Just a little. Just a little. That's my favorite curse, too, when I really don't like someone. I'm like, I hope... Every time you try to fart, you pants just a little. 
Yeah, yeah. Just a little. My, my favorite expression for for doing a bad job on something is shitting the bed. I don't well, know. I, I, yeah. From what we've learned about uh, toots and, you know, when you smell them, you're tasting them. Oh, uh, okay. Well, doesn't that mean that way. every time you toot... Way to high road, you Matt. Are, Way to high road. You are there. pooping your, your shorts just a bit? Breaches? Just, mm-hmm. a, just a tiny bit. So I think your breeches, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I guess the, our takeaway from that would be stay humble, everybody. <laughs> even, even Henry Kissinger, even Beyonce, or insert celebrity here, um, even, even, uh, even the Pope, the Pope's got some tiny poops. That's just that's think true. about how much you like they're Beyonce. Called, they're called popes. And they're then popes. <laughs> just remember that she's got poopy pants. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you feel <laughs> down on yourself, whenever somebody's making you feel insecure, just in your head, tell yourself a person has pooped themselves. They pooped a little mm, bit. They ass have. pennies. I was about to say, oh my God, get out of my head. I was just about to say the same thing. Oh, I'm scared to touch pennies. I I can't handle it. That's separate from the ass pennies quandary, though. But it's scarier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You know, that just makes it worse. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, just just Google it. Maybe don't. I don't know. It's a sketch on a Price Citizens Brigade where a guy gets the upper hand (laughs) in business because he sits a roll roll of pennies up his his little Sebastian um, every day or week for years, and so he can assume that anyone he's talking to has at some point handled his his butt pennies. I don't know if you can call it a power move, but it's definitely a move. It's a move, uh, especially a when move. you tell them about it. <laughs> at that point, you're the crazy. You're. You, I don't know if that really gives you the upper hand at all. It might no. just like totally turn people off from ever wanting to do business with you again. It's like it's like uh, cutting your hand before a fight starts to try to get in people's heads. And they're like, well, if that's what you'll do to yourself, what's going to happen to me? You know, don't do that. We're legally required to Sticking tell you. Sticking pennies up your butt to spite your face, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a very Pyrrhic victory, but our very, very last one, uh, since we're no pun left behind here, Tyler writes and says, Hey guys, long time listener here. I just got done listening to the actual line of control episode. And I realized there was a missed opportunity here to use the following line. I can't believe it's not border, you know, because it's like a border. It's not really a border. Mm, and then Tyler signs off with "You're welcome." Yeah, so I guess well, we owe you th- a thank you, Tyler. Now, customarily, Tyler, the thank you comes before the "You're welcome," but we'll <laughs> allow it. We'll allow it. And that's uh, that's that's going to be our listener mail segment for this week. But we want you to join in. We want to hear your ideas for new episodes. We want to hear your personal experiences with synesthesia. We're certain there are some out there statistically. Uh, We also want to know your experience with deinstitutionalization or the state of uh, psychiatric care, whether consensual or forced in the the U.S. And you know what? And abroad, too. Uh, And then, of course, always hit us with terrible, terrible puns. Is that an okay door to open? Oh, yeah. Open it up. Open it wide. No good puns. Just send us terror. Send us like Salvador Dali part. Are there good puns? puns. Isn't a pun inherently okay? Well, (laughs) we want those (laughs) too. Why are we? No, that's not different. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. No, that's just your puns. We also want your energy drinks. Send us your energy drink. I'm just joking. And your precious bodily fluids. Send us your precious (laughs) bodily fluids. And send some kind of Wi-Fi that works better when you're on the road. This is nuts. 
Yeah, we're problem solvers here, stuff that I want you to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if you want to help us solve these problems or learn more about new problems, uh, then go ahead and find us on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all the hits, all the good mm-hmm. ones, all that slow jazz. Don't forget TikTok. Well, it's Conspiracy Stuff Show on TikTok, Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff on the remaining uh, platforms uh, in question that have been listed. Uh, we also have a telephone number, as you know, as you well know, as uh, who knew? Toad today? No, it was uh, Mike. Uh, Mike. Yeah. Yes, Mike knew. Uh, if you want to be like Mike, then don't buy tennis shoes. Call 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname. Uh, unlike Mike, I, maybe Mike is a cool nickname for Michael. That, that, that makes sense. I get it. Matt, Matt, really quickly, Ben and I learned something really alarming today, I think. There are four and change grams of sugar in a serving of Wheaties. Whoa. Yeah. How is that was possible? jacked. I know. I was, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know how you can make it taste like that and still have that much sugar. So congratulations, <laughs> Wheaties. No, it's, 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 <laughs> I, I pointed out that if you eat a Wheatie, it's got a bit of a sugary vibe to it a sticky sort of uh, coating mm-hmm. you know to make uh, those weedy flakes palatable I didn't well, realize it was that much well hey call in name yourself weedy something insert extra or something weedies uh, we'll weedy be truther we'll be excited to hear from you uh, you have three minutes to leave a message if you got more to say than can fit in that three minutes why not instead send us a good old fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now.